So, announcements. We're a little short on announcements today, but we have the greatest announcement there is. Jesus is alive. Can anyone say that with me? Can you say Jesus is alive? Our text reading this morning is going to be Acts 4:31 through 5:11. If you guys want to turn that way, get a head start. It's on page 1010 of your pew Bible. A reading from Acts 4, chapters 31, verses 31 through chapter 5, verse 11. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need." Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your hearts? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out, and they buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me, whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear come upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here today. And we're continuing in our vision series entitled Extraordinary Times. And if you're new with us, what we do um, each year is around this time, we sort of just take some time to look at who we are as a church. Um, what are we about? What are things that we value? What leads us and guides us um, in the vision as to who we are? And what we're doing is um, we're surveying sort of at a 30,000-foot view the book of Acts and the book of Acts is, is the birth of the New Testament church, if you will. And what we're doing is we're, we're sort of walking through and, and we're pulling out some words that are some characteristics um, of the early church because it's fascinating. We've learned that just these ordinary people, right, ordinary people um, filled with the Spirit of God, um, empowered with this good news that Jesus Christ was dead but now is alive, accomplished extraordinary things for God. And what we want to do as a church is we want to mirror those things. We want those same values um, to be our values as well. 
And so we're adding these words. And these words, I mean, I leaned over to my wife and was like, these signs are bright, right? Because we want to get the point across that each week we're adding something. And these are going to be up here all year for us, for 2019 into 2020. And we want to survey and go back. This is who we are. This is how we evaluate who we are as a church. And today, as you see, a word's been added. Um, Generous. And as you heard the text read to you today, um, wow, right? Almost like a scene from The Godfather or something, right? Um, every time I hear it, I just think Peter going, Ananias, right? <laughs> what did you do, right? You break my, I know it was you, Fredo, I know it was you. Um, but today, um, that's about as light as I can make it. Because there's something about what goes on in this text today um, that God is trying to get a point across. And, and how we view the scriptures at Westside um, is, is above us. Um, we are not over it to edit it and to make it lighthearted for us. But there's, there's a reason why the story is so severe is because we see a characteristic of the early church that was almost undeniable. Um, there were a few aspects of the early church that, that birthed under the Roman Empire. And so, and so we learned a couple weeks ago that, that the church was growing, I mean, at a rapid pace, that there's never been a movement in human history that has multiplied so quickly under the boot of persecution and poverty, if you will. And, and we learned that um, this idea that under Constantine, right? So Constantine was a guy who, who ruled over Rome. And as the church is growing, the population of Rome, we learned at about 300 A.D., almost 53% of the Roman population claimed Jesus as Lord and not Caesar. Now, now, you have to understand how big of a deal that was. Back then, whenever they would pay taxes and they would come, it was a worship ceremony. They would lay these um, proceeds down and hail Caesar to be the very Son of God. And so the laying down of that was viewed as also your act of worship. But now you have this growing population of people who are saying, we will not pledge allegiance to Caesar. We will pledge allegiance to to Jesus. But then a few years later, there is the Roman Emperor Julian, and this is a picture of him. And listen, by the way, this is important for us to know, right? Um, that Christianity isn't a fairy tale, man. I mean, we have a real um, historical record to know what this looked like and how it was growing in real historical time. What's interesting about Julian is, is that he was the nephew of Constantine. So when Julian was born, he grew up in literally like a a Christian Rome, if you will. Things changed greatly. And he rose to power in 361 AD. But there was a problem. He's known as Julian the Apostate because he didn't care for Christianity. And he realized, um, man, we can make some serious money here um, and we don't really need these Christians doing these things because it's affecting our empire. So what Julian did is he sparked a Roman pagan religion. And what he tried to do is he tried to sway the Roman people back to worship Rome. But there was a problem. The more he tried to do that, the more Christianity grew. And the more that he tried to persecute and the more that he tried to... And at one point, he realizes, maybe I can mimic what they are doing to sway them back over. And we actually have a letter that he wrote 
to another official. And here is what he says. It is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg... And these impious Galileans. See, Christians didn't get that term Christian until much later on. They were called followers of the way. And Jesus, who grew up in Galilee, they were called these these Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. And then all men and all of Rome see that our own people lack aid from us. Oh, man, do you know what he says? He says, listen, we can't even snuff out the Christians. You know why? They take such good care of their own people that people are attracted to them, and they take better care of Roman citizens than Rome does. And history records that, that when plagues would hit the cities... That everybody would leave, but the Christians would stay. And they would stay even unto death. That when Rome, in order to thin out the population, would throw babies out into the gutter, it was the Christian women who would come along and gather those babies. See, one of the things that was the most, uh, that that you could not ignore from these Christians was their generosity. Not even just with their possessions and money, as we'll see, but but their lives in general. That, That the money and possessions was the overflow of something else that was going on. And you know what's interesting? Like, look at the text. Um, We included chapter 4, verse 31 in the reading because it's so important to know. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So there it is, right? The power of the Holy Spirit. And many of us have preconceived notions as to what that would be. And we have a picture of what that would look like. And so it says that they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then check this out. Here's what's interesting too. It says that great grace was on them in verse 33. Um, In the original language, the word great is megos. Here's what it says. Mega grace was on them. So, the power of the Holy Spirit in great power, great grace was upon them, and what's the result? Selling things, being generous, do you have a need? Let's take care of that. It's incredible to see, listen, as Christians, if we are to stand out from the rest of the world, if there is a characteristic that should be unignorable and undeniable of the people of West Side of Church of God. It should be that they are a generous people. And why? Why are Christians different in this aspect when it comes to money, possessions, and all of that? Well, we just sang about it. That we understand that the breath in our lungs is a gift from God. And that we had a great debt that we could not pay. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, here, listen, here's the big idea today. That grace generates generosity. And greed generates hypocrisy. That's what we see in the text. It's almost as if Luke um, really wants this to be applicable. He does like a character study, right? We see this guy, Barnabas. 
And Luke sort of narrows in on Barnabas and says, hey, do you want to know what a life and a heart generated by grace looks like? Um, It looks like this. And then he also shows us Ananias and Sapphira. And he says, here's an element of what greed produces as well. Listen, this is very, very important to us and very near and dear to my heart for Westside to be a generous church. I think it's one of the things, listen, I believe, here's what's crazy. I believe, um, I believe that the kingdom of God can break into Butler County. I don't know, man. I didn't, I'm a simple man. I like the jelly on the bottom shelf, but I just really believe it. I really believe that people could change and that the kingdom of God can break through into Butler County. And that if Westside could be a conduit for that. And one of the numbers that's so important for me as we grow as a church, as we look in our vision series, one number that I care about among all other numbers, well, this is what it was for us last year, um, $27,363.77. That's the amount of money that we gave away as a church last year. Are you excited about that? That's a good spot to clap, right? I think so. You're the 11 a.m., all right? So let's be a little excited. And, and you know what's interesting is, is when you throw a number up like that and, and you start talking about money, people have opinions. So some people are like, well, that's too much money. Some people are like, that's not enough money. And then there's some people who are like, well, I didn't get any of that money or, you know, whatever. But why, why is that so emotional to talk about? Because as we see in the text and all through Scripture, um, your money is the way that you gauge your gratitude to God. Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked more about money than he did hell. Why? Because as the famous theologian Jay-Z once said, right, um, men lie and women lie, but numbers don't. So if we profess that we have a heart generated by grace, then Jesus would ask you, well, then show me your checkbook and how generous you are. Because we draw a line directly between both of those things. And so the first character that we see is Barnabas. Barnabas shows us this idea of grace and generosity. Barnabas is is awesome. This guy's cool, right? So we're introduced to him here, and it says that he's a Levite, that he's a native of Cyprus, and that he sold a field that belonged to him, and that he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we see Barnabas a few times. We're going to do a little character study here today, okay? We're going to study the Bible. It's going to be crazy in church. You're going to study the Bible, all right? We see Barnabas a few times in Scripture. Um, Later on in Acts 9, Barnabas is the guy that actually vouches for the apostle Paul. So Paul was Saul then he meets Jesus and becomes Paul and then like comes to church one Sunday and everybody's like a little sketched out by it. They're like, did you see who's sitting in the back today, right? Here's the reason why. Because he used to go around hunting Christians and persecuted them. And uh, Barnabas is the guy who stands up and goes, no, man, this guy has changed. He vouches for the Apostle Paul. Later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul names him again and says... Um, Man, you funded the ministry. You are a generous person. I mean, his name literally means which uh, son of encouragement. So this is the guy at 6 a.m. That's like, how are you? Blessed and highly favored, brother, right? I mean, this guy's all about it, okay? This guy loves Jesus. And Luke shows us what are some characteristics of this grace and generosity. Well, the first thing is this. It's, It's supernatural, Right? Listen, 
We're not just talking about, oh, you're generous, this, that, and the other. We are talking about a supernatural generosity. You know why? Because look, it says right there, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. I mean, like, how supernatural is that? Well, let's just, maybe as an illustration, anybody been around a small child recently? Um, Nobody has to teach, right? It's the word that you try to teach your children not to say. Mine. That is mine. And then when they just buck up and you go, that's mine, and you're like, I'm sorry. What do you contribute to this household? (laughs) Nothing. You are a consumer of goods, right? Mine, mine. And what we see is that there's these group of people who, their possessions, their money, what we're talking about when we talk about mega grace, the power of the Holy Spirit is not theological studies, is not these supernatural spiritual gifts, but rather it is a supernatural understanding that everything that I have is a gift. And when people start to understand that and the perspective changes, you know that the Spirit of God is at work there, that it's supernatural. But the second thing is this, is that it's sacrificial, right? It's not just supernatural, but it's sacrificial. It says in verse 34, and there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. See, here's what's interesting about generosity, right? Supernatural generosity is that it mirrors the gospel. That, that's the whole point. We just talked about the very famous verse, right? Long before Tim Tebow was doing this, okay? That for God so loved the world that he gave. And so it's this idea that it's not a convenient aspect of generosity, but rather I know that these things are not mine so therefore, I can sacrifice and understand that, okay? And, and, and the big word in the text is that there wasn't a need among them, needy person among them, not wanty, wanty, per, like needs and wants. There's a big difference there, right? And I think that we understand sometimes the way that we live our life, that we live honestly, honestly, that everybody in this room is wealthier, than a majority of the population in the entire world. And we never understand that. Clean drinking water, multiple clothes, shoes, all of those things. But when we understand this idea of a heart generated by grace, we realize if somebody else has a need, then God uses people, right? So so think about it this way. The things that we have in our own possession, whether it's money, no matter what it is, what if, what if the things that you have in your possession are the answer to prayer that somebody else has been asking God for? Like, what if you're the answer? And what if in a supernatural way our perspective changes and, here's a crazy thought, you ready? This is mind-blowing. We think of other people and we realize, hey, I can meet that need. 
And what's so interesting is, is that it's happening within the community of faith. Paul would go on to say this in Galatians. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. We want to do good to everyone, every single person. And a lot of times we do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. We want to do for everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Listen, that's the beauty of being a part of a covenant member of a church. And so whether it's funerals, medical bills, all of these type of things, we want to be able to meet those needs, but we want to meet those needs first within our community of faith. And then when the world sees how they take care of their own, there's this attraction to something like that. It's literally supernatural. And so as Christians, we understand that, that the teaching on this, and maybe you were taught this, right, the tithe, okay? And so if you're, this is your first time here at church, yes, I'm talking about money, love you, we're here, and God kills someone from stealing from the offering later. It's an incredible sermon. Just wait and hang on for a little bit, all right? But one of the things that I don't see, I don't see in the New Testament is the binding of a tithe, a tenth of the goods, And we realize in the Old Testament that they actually gave more than 10% of their income. What I see is sacrificial giving. That's what I see. I see hearts motivated by grace. Listen, not hearts to meet the minimum standard. I don't see that. And as Tim Keller once said, um, Jesus didn't tithe his blood. It is finish. To Teclesia, paid in full. So we're not talking about generosity like going to someone's house and there's one can of corn. Hey, we're going to eat dinner tonight. Come on over. We got a biscuit and a can of corn. You ever been there before, right? But rather, we have an entire feast here for you because we love you and we're so grateful that you're in our home and we want to feed you and we want to love you and it is a heart that is motivated by grace. So it's supernatural and then it's sacrificial. It's sacrificial, but then I see this. I see that it's sincere. There's something in the text that's very interesting. Look at what Barnabas does. So he sells this field. And then he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here's what's interesting, right? God uses what you have. God uses what you have. And I understand you're arguing with me. Jason, you don't understand my financial things, this, that, and the other. I've been paying Sally Mae for 25 years on that one semester in college that I had. I mean, listen, I understand there's all types of financial stuff that we can talk about, this, that, and the other. Here's all I'm saying. God uses what you have. He uses what you have. But then we see twice in the text that they lay it at the apostles' feet. (laughs) Could you imagine if that's how offering went today? And today we're going to take the offering and come and bring it at the leadership's feet, right? And also out in the lobby, we have Kool-Aid for you to drink. (laughs) And everyone gets a pair of Nikes, right? That's a little weird, okay? What they're showing is, is that the apostles, these guys were commissioned by the resurrected Jesus Christ. And what this shows, listen, what this shows is that they're trusting God with their money. That's what it shows. Remember how they worship Caesar? They lay it down and they say, be unto Caesar. What this text is showing is a compare and contrast. It's showing a people who freely 
give. And what's interesting is in church, we always try to like make that private, right? So, you know, I mean, how's your giving? How's your finance? Well, that's, um, that's between me and the Lord. Oh, okay, so you give nothing. I mean, I mean that's, just, that's just where that goes all the time, right? Oh, okay, awesome. But in reality, what we see in the text is people that are so generous that they say, I don't have anything else to hide anymore. There's no, this, this isn't mine. This isn't mine. Let this meet needs, let this happen. And listen to me, Westside will not be built. Listen to me very clearly. Westside will not be built off begrudging givers. So, so, so if you're giving begrudging checks and forcibly and obligation and all of that, keep your money. We don't need that, okay? What we need is hearts generated by grace. That's what we need. And what we see is, and what I thought about this week was, Barnabas reminded me of someone. Um, so, so you remember Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, right? Love it. It's fantastic. Just lo- it's just one of the greatest pieces of literature that we have. But you remember Scrooge. And, and I thought about, you know, Scrooge is, is very greedy in the beginning. I mean, like greedy, greedy in the beginning. And then what we see is, is that he has an experience. And then all of these ghosts and all of this stuff, very fun literature. But the last one, remember what happens, the last one? He takes him to his grave and shows him his headstone. And it's open for him to go in. And he shows Scrooge, hey, congratulations, all of your greediness and everything that you thought you wanted in life, this is what it got you, bro. This is it. And Scrooge thinks that he's dying, that he's done. He cries out for mercy. It's this beautiful scene. And then what happens? He wakes up. And it's Christmas Day. And he opens up the window and he's so excited and it's snowing and it's beautiful. And then whenever you see in the movie or the play, all of a sudden now you see for the very first time, it's never happened. Charles Dickens knew what he was doing. You never see Scrooge smile until Christmas Day. Because why? Because now he realizes I have a second chance at life. I can do this over again. I can make amends what I've made wrong. And the life that I lived was going to produce nothing for me. But now everything I have is a gift. And listen, all I'm saying today is, is there anybody in here who's so grateful that Jesus gave you a second chance on life? And what I see from Barnabas is now, none of this is mine. That literally the debts that I owed and who I once was is no longer who I am. So now my heart is generated and motivated by grace, which then in turn produces generosity. Listen, one of the things that we can't do today is that I can't make all of this and then now all of a sudden you become generous. The motivation is the gospel. Listen, those who have received grace, extend it and give it. And the most tangible way to show that is with our possessions. But now the text shifts, right? And we see chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? I struggled all week with this. All week. Even the first service. 
I felt like that I was leaning more towards are you offended by the text rather than just saying it. Because look at what we have. The power of the Holy Spirit. The text says mega grace. And then God takes two people out. Why? Why? Because I think it's showing the severity of what sin leads to. It's always going to lead in destruction. Always. And I think the best sentence is from a guy by the name of Kevin DeYoung, and he says it this way. The church is a safe place for sinners, but it's not a safe place to sin. Do you understand how God has designed this thing in such a way that literally what we think in this text is the harshness of it? And then we try to say, well, now on this, and you can't say, well, post-cross, and you can't say, well, there wasn't the indwelling of the Spirit, and you can't, you can't make this say something else in other than what it says. And the way that God has designed this in such a way, we think immediately, well, God can't do that. Oh, really? Really? I'm sorry, who are you again? And the moment that we see God exert his authority like that, we buck up against it. But God has designed the church in such a way to be the guard. Listen, this is literally like, there's so much grace in this text. How many times did Peter ask Ananias? How many times? Multiple times. And then ask Sapphira again, all of these things. And we see the severity of what greed actually does is that it produces hypocrisy. And the first thing that we see of how that happens is and why it's so severe is that it's stealing. It's stealing. But we have to be careful because it's not so much about money, right? Because look at the text. Why does Peter say twice, the land was yours, Ananias, and then the money From the land that you sold, that was also yours as well. Here's what Peter's saying. You were under no obligation. You were, nobody made, like, you were not, you were not under law in light of this to give this. But you did it in such a way, and actually uh, Luke uses a word, um, knowledge that he kept back. The only other time that that's used is in Titus chapter 2 verse 10, and it's literally about embezzlement. So so if the issue isn't so much money, then what's the issue? Well, look at how many times the word heart is used in the text. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? And then drop down verse 4. You've contrived this deed in your heart, and you lied to God. I I mean, listen, think about it, right? Um, Does God need your money? Um, Negative. He does not. The psalmist says that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Translation, um, God owns everything, okay? So, So what is this stealing aspect? Well, I thought about it this way. Have you ever heard of uh, the phrase stolen valor? Ooh, talk about fire up United States citizen. Stolen valor is actually a federal crime. And it was signed on June 3rd, 2013 by President Barack Obama. And it says this, the act makes it federally illegal and a crime to fraudulently claim to be a recipient of certain military decorations or medals in order to obtain money, property, or other tangible benefits. And if you ever see 
Anybody in the military spot someone who is using military honor and valor to gain money, it's a big deal. And you'll see these guys say, my friends died, I have friends that are over there dying, and you are out here doing this for your own benefit. And we get fired up about that because we think about the sacrifices and we think about all of those things. And that's almost literally the text example of hypocrisy. And how could somebody do something like that? And at the same time, what this text shows us is Ananias and Sapphira wanted glory. In Isaiah 42, God says, the Lord is my name. The Lord is my name and my glory and my praise I share with no man. I share with no man or no idol. And the moment that you try to step into that and gain benefit from God's glory, that's the issue. That's the issue. John Stott says it this way. They wanted the credit and prestige for sacrificial generosity, here it is, without the inconvenience or sacrifice of it. So in order to gain a reputation to which they had no right, they told a brazen lie. Their motive in giving was not to relieve the poor or to meet needs, but to fatten their own ego. That's the problem. And greed and hypocrisy lead to that. But it's not only stealing. The second one's just as positive. It's satanic. Verse 3, Peter says it. But Peter said, Ananias, why Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then Sapphira the same way. Jesus describes the enemy that he's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And listen, the way that we use our money and our possessions is a tangible sign for what kingdom we are working for. And it is either God's kingdom or your own, which in turn is the enemy's. What we understand, the reason why that Satan fell from heaven like lightning, Jesus says, is because he saw the throne of heaven and desired him to sit there. That he wanted to sit in God's position. That is serious. And that's the severity that the text presses in on us. But the last thing that we see is this, is that it spreads. It spreads. It wasn't just Ananias, but it was his wife, Sapphira. It says, verse 1, with his wife's knowledge. Um, by the way, hey, uh, ladies, look up here. Um, anytime your husband is talking about embezzling and then giving to the church, that's a great time to talk to somebody about that, okay, right? Um, yeah, don't follow that leadership, all right? With his wife's knowledge, and then verse 8, you agreed together to do this. Here's the reason why it's so serious. Ananias and Sapphira, if you would harden your heart to the unction of the Holy Spirit about this, then what else would you resist? What other temptations allure you? That's the severity of it. And what we see is that there's actually so much grace in this text dealing with Ananias and Sapphira that there's multiple opportunities. What we see, all of these things. And then the last thing that struck me this week, and I was just crushed by this. See, we think that it shows the severity and the harshness of God, and we don't have the perspective to see that grace is all over it. 
that there's a don't go down that road. Don't do that. It ends in self-destruction. Don't do those things. Do you know what Ananias' name means? Ananias' name means Jehovah God has been gracious to me. That the last moments of his life, he hears Peter say, Ananias, and the name, Peter's literally saying, God has been gracious to you. God has been so gracious to you. And then this is where the path leads in light of this. And so as we close, literally what this comes down to is giving and generosity is a gospel issue. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's it. That's the motivation of everything. And it's almost as if Luke has done this character study for us. And when it comes to Barnabas, and when it comes to Ananias and Sapphira, and when we look at how we evaluate grace and generosity in our life, there is one question that is applicable in this entire room. And when it comes to both of those characters, the question is this, which one am I? Which one am I? Am I one who professes the goodness and kindness and grace of God, that my life has been marked, that God has named me, that he has been so gracious, but yet there are so many excuses that I have about being generous. And then let me encourage those of you who are so, Westside is filled with some of the most generous people that I've ever seen in my life. And the encouragement to you today is press on, keep on. Because grace generates that generosity in us. And in just a moment, we get to come to the tables. And we get to see the body broken and the blood shed. And literally the elements of grace. So Westside, stand to your feet. And if you would, grab, grab your guide to worship and let us confess and pray how Jesus taught us to pray with the Lord's Prayer. Westside, lift your voices out loud together. Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lay us bare. God, that we don't want to be a people who are greedy and a people who live a life of hypocrisy. But may we be a people who say, everything that I have is a gift. God, may Butler County, may Pupper Bluff be changed from the generosity of the people at Westside. And may it be just like it was in the early church. There's something that we can't ignore about them. What is going on? The way they handle their money, their time, their possessions, there is something different in their midst. And then in the end, it's not even about that. It's about Jesus. Because you are so rich 
and kind towards us in Christ. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us as we come to the table today. May our hearts be encouraged, comforted, and convicted as we see it is finished. And may we live that life of generosity. We pray this in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can come forward and partake in the elements today as you feel led.